Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome, welcome. Today we are going to talk about the call to adventure like we have never talked about before. Our guest is Karen Dark, who has one of the most amazing adventure spirits that I've ever met. She has a lifetime of incredible experiences to share, and what you're going to hear today is going to rock your world. Karen is an adventurer first and foremost. When she's not on a specific journey, she calls Scotland home and is talking to us from the UK today. She's an author, a speaker, and a coach with the Flow Research Collective, where I happen to be enrolled in an education program. Karen and I met through this experience, and she's coaching me through the curriculum. Karen's story has slowly been revealed to me. Every time I get curious and I dig a little bit deeper, I find something more. I am so honored to know her and absolutely cannot wait to share her story with you. Karen, welcome to the campfire. Oh, thank you, Scott. And thank you for such a lovely introduction. And I love what you said there about, you know, every time we get to know someone or something a little bit more, it's just that curiosity, isn't it, that we dig a bit deeper and it takes us on a journey. <laughs> it is the curiosity, Karen. So my first exposure to you was on a group synergy call with the Flow Research Collective. And uh, it was my first call just jumping on with a group of peers and, and learning a little bit more about uh, the curriculum that we were working on. And you were the facilitator. And we'd never met. I didn't know anything about you. And I just was drawn to your energy. And so we got off that call. And, uh, you know, it was at that point that I needed to select somebody to kind of help coach me through the curriculum. And just based on that brief experience on that call, knowing nothing about you, I just I felt drawn to you. And uh, so we enter into this coaching relationship through this uh, through this program. And um, I start looking into who you are and what you're all about and like I said, it just, every time I dig deeper, I find more and more and more. So, well, there was a reason, I think there was a reason and a connection that we're, that we're here and we've clearly got um, some common interests and yeah, that curiosity to explore the hero's journey and how that is for us in life and some perspectives that overlap, haven't we? So thank you for having me here. <laughs> there is no doubt. And so um, I want to just reveal bits and pieces of your story here a little bit as we go, but I want to, I want to start with that call to adventure because you are absolutely an adventurer and your whole life is just filled with adventure after adventure. And um, we're going to talk about some of those adventures, but I, I really, I, I want to start with little Karen. <laughs> what, when was the first time that you actually f remember feeling that call to adventure? You know, I think I grew up with it in so many ways. I was really lucky because my mum and dad were both school teachers, so they had big holidays. So every every summer, every Easter, there'd be weeks of holiday to be shared. And we always went to the mountains and into, we travelled Europe when I was 
10, we lived in the West Coast of America for a year in Oregon. And just the whole year was just filled with journeys and adventure. So I think it was just ingrained into me from a very young age. But the, the very first big adventure I remember as I came into my formative years was a choice to go to apply for a youth expedition being organized by the region that I live in for young people. And it was to take a journey into a remote region of China and you could choose whether to to hike or climb or ride a bike or take a kayak or be at a, be at a base camp. And clearly cycling was meant to be part of my life because I chose cycling. But um, it was a transformative journey. It was it, the, the whole project was over a year long from selection to completion of the journey in China. And during that year, we trained together once a month, a group of teenagers with a couple of leaders. And it was really just a huge journey into development of self, of a team, of building up to a project and a journey of entering into learning about another culture. Um, it was just transformative. And in that process, we had to obviously raise money to go on the journey and get fit, to be fit enough to take this physical journey in a remote part of China. So that was that was really my first step into this world of discovering adventure, discovering myself in a kind of more adult way, if that makes sense. Yeah, and now how old are you at that point? So I'm about 15, 16 at this point. Yeah. Okay. Great, so this is kind of your first exposure to adventure and I think fair to say that you got the bug on that trip. Yeah, adventure in the bigger journeying sense of it. I think before that, I, I always felt a little bit outcast or not outcast, but I, Maybe every teenager feels like this. You just feel like you don't fit in. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't really like what everyone did, like going drinking or shopping. Like these they didn't get me excited. Yeah. I felt kind of wrong in those environments. So when I found this adventure environment and I very much got in that kind of similar time of my life, I got into going climbing regularly, just running in the mountains. I suppose it just accelerated my at this point, I was just going into this discovery of, of self, of nature, of your body, of how to connect to all these, something bigger than yourself. And yeah, that was a big part of it. Days and weekends doing those kinds of things in the, in the area of England that I grew up, combined with this bigger goal of going on this journey with a, with a group of young people. It's so interesting because you, you mean 13, 14, 15 years old, you had this feeling that you'd didn't fit in but yet you connected with sort of this nature experience yeah i think i found my place and maybe found a bit of a a, a corner of the world where i felt connected and at home and, and excited and comfortable and yeah yeah wow okay so um karen your website you have a website it's amazing and you can find out so much information about you on that website but you have a little intro video on your first page and um, first of all, the music is incredible. I absolutely love the music. I need to find out what song that is. But um, it, it, it mentions that early on you climbed the Matterhorn and you found your way there from a postcard. Yeah, so this is, I, I, it's, I, I look back, we can look back, can't we, and realize how A, naive we were and B, how maybe stupid we were or led by kind of, wild ideas, hopes, passions, perhaps a bit of ego. So when I look back at that first season in the Alps, it seems crazy to me, really. You know, naivety is a wonderful thing, but it's also a very dangerous thing. So yeah. I did climb the Matterhorn using a postcard and realized in the process that there were people there who'd, 
who spent their whole life building up to this and they had a guide with them and they spent 20 years building up to this dream and just kind of rock up and do it. And the same season similarly climbed Mont Blanc and some of the some of the other kind of significant peaks in the in the Alps. Um, so I suppose that highlights to me that I like to push the challenge high. Yeah, I would I would say that's fair. So it's just you know I I get that I have a picture of the Matterhorn up on my vision board um, because I have this dream of skiing at Zermatt at some point and. Um, but hey, what, let's go and do it. What, what what called you to the Matterhorn? So, um, you know, we talked about your first experience. What called you to the Matterhorn? Um, I mean, it's an iconic mountain, isn't it? In shape, in form. I don't know if you know what a Toblerone is, but it's plastered all over Toblerones in Europe. Toblerones are chocolate that's designed around yeah. the Matterhorn. Yeah. familiar. So I, I think I just grew up with that I- iconic image of the Matterhorn, and it's just... Mountains to me are very compelling when they always have been. When I see them, they they've never been a place that feels distant. It's a they they just speak to me and say, Come up here. So I was just drawn to to go there. And I mean, Karen, what happens on the inside when you're when you're experiencing that? So when I'm when I'm called into when I, as soon as I go into nature, I feel expansion and I feel peace and I feel calm and I feel possibility. Yeah, just this, it's a sense of peace and expansion and possibility and this reminder that it's all okay. Like it down-regulates my system somehow and I feel connected to something bigger and greater than myself. It's kind of a real leveler and brings perspective and makes me feel in awe of, of of the world and what all the things we we don't know and don't understand but at the same time i also really enjoy the simplicity of spending time in nature so usually when i spend time in nature i like to be immersed so be camping taking journey a journey being self-sufficient and it just simplifies life down to the very basics of survival your your day becomes about self-care care for each other finding water and food and just right back to basics and it just strips away all the complexity and uh, craziness in some ways of of modern life. I love that you said it strips away the complexity. I mean, that's just, that's such a, I mean, that's really what finding your inner goal is all about, right? It's like stripping away that complexity and getting to the core of who you are. And I also love that you use the word awe because that's a word that we talk about a lot here on this podcast. You know, it's the root of the word awesome that we throw around all the time. But whenever people talk about awe experiences, they, um, most people that I've encountered always tie it back to nature. Um, and some experience that they had in nature. So, um, yeah, I love love it. The other thing that nature really does for me is reminds me to trust, like trust the universe or something bigger than yourself. So often when I'm on journeys in remote, wild places and you think you've got, you just wonder how you're going to get to the next bit, like how are you going to find food or water? Almost inevitably someone appears or something appears that just brings all the answers so it's really helped me kind of trust the process by spending time in nature that's a beautiful segue to to where we're going to go next so trust nature so um not long after your climbing experience in the Matterhorn um you were involved in an accident climbing on a sea cliff and um found out that you were excuse me found out that you were paralyzed from the chest down 
uh, six months in a hospital bed. And the first thing that you do after six months in a hospital bed, paralyzed from the chest down, is you buy a cycling race chair. (laughs) Yeah, I got a racing wheelchair before I even got a normal wheelchair, just because I knew that I'm, I'm a physical kinesthetic person. I need to move my body and I want to be outside. So I had a little chance in the hospital to explore different ways to do that. Um, it just seemed obvious that that was the first route to take to to get back to some physicality and some training and yeah, perhaps lose some of the weight I'd put on lying in a hospital bed and just start to feel better about my body. Because when you're paralyzed, you know, everything changes. And I think some people, and I also just thought it meant you couldn't walk, but actually there's so much more that comes with it from managing your bladder and your bowels and your body image and so many levels it's it's just like you know starting again and stripping back your identity so it felt really important to me to to connect with something like some exercise and being able to get back outdoors again but I quickly traded the race chair for a handbike um I I had a a special handbike made and all those years ago handbiking wasn't really a thing and I, I think I had the f- world's first ever tandem handbike made that you pedaled with your arms at the front and the legs at the back. Yeah. It was made by a, in Australia by a guy who made bikes in his garage. He's a very interesting person who decided to branch into this. And this, I called it my freedom machine. It just became this, this wonderful way that I could get off-road as well as on-road and, and journey with somebody. Because for me, journeying... In, and being in nature isn't about always doing it on my own. It's also a wonderful place to share it with other people. Because I think when we're in that environment, it's so much more profound and our connection be- can become so much deeper with somebody than if we're just sat having a coffee or something. So I was determined someone was going to have to come with me and we'd be journeying together. So we're For tied sure. together and, in tandem. And you've spent some time on that bike and many bikes. I, I'm curious the calling that you got to go to China when you were a kid and to climb the Matterhorn and now this calling to get on a bike. Are they similar callings? Was it different? Yeah, I think I think they're similar. And I, I'll never forget in two, I think it was about 2000, the year 2000, I cycled the length of Japan, which was a, a long time after my accident, but it was filmed for a documentary in Japan and the producer had a fold-up bike that she sometimes pedaled alongside me with a camera and she just kept saying but why like why are you doing this <laughs> and I, I just kept going so deep with this question like because because it's here because and I started to think am I missing something am I am I trying to prove something like why am I doing this and honestly I've analyzed it so much because I've been asked it so many times and the answer is just very very simple because taking a journey in nature without an engine with the fresh air is just such a beautiful way to discover a place and its people and its culture and its and its landscapes and i love it like what what more reason do we need than that (laughs) i don't think we do honestly i think that you just nailed it you talked about the simplicity of it and you know you talked about analyzing it and frankly i think that's what many of us do is overanalyze it i think um i think you've just figured it out. It is that simple. I think, and I think we all experience that, but I think sometimes we need a nudge to be reminded of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is that um, going on to race a handbike 
which I'm sure you're coming to, but um, the whole Paralympic journey. I think many people enter into that because they want to win a medal or they want to prove something or they want to be good at something. And I suppose I was just totally led by, I just love doing this and I just want an excuse to be outside in mountains more and train more and to be doing more of this instead of sat indoors on a laptop or whatever the alternative might be. It's it's really incredible. And, and yeah, I, I do want to go there. So if I can, I'm just going to hit a couple of the highlights that were in your video, because these are things that, as I said, um, you're an incredibly humble person. Um, I didn't know any of these things about you when we first met. And as I said, I just keep digging and I keep finding more and more and more. So you went from the racing chair um, to one year after your accident, you competed in the Great North Run, which is the world's largest half marathon, followed by the London Marathon, and then decided to do a 1,400-kilometer uh, expedition over the Himalayas. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's so impressive. When, well, when I was paralyzed and in hospital, I'd also broken my neck, and very lucky for me, hadn't damaged the nerves in my neck. So do you have hand strength, arm strength, triceps, etc. And friends, but I did have to lie in traction for many months with bolts in my skull and weights hanging off of, of my neck to keep my spine in traction. So I was just looking at ceiling tiles for three months, basically. And friends stuck some pictures up there and one of them was this beautiful Himalayan scene. And at the very beginning, I used to look at it and just feel traumatized by the view, thinking about how I couldn't go into mountains anymore mm. and somewhere in the process I really shifted my focus into thinking about well how could I go into the mountains to like I'll just have to change the way I do it and then I suppose through a process of learning and educating myself and realizing that the, you still could do things when you're paralyzed there are hand bikes and engineering is a wonderful thing and um, I then yeah that became my vision was to, to visit the Himalayas and cycle cycle through them and across them and that first trip was incredible. It was like a rite of passage and a realization that, okay, we just did this and we did it unsupported, totally in the wilderness, camping, carrying the wheelchair and everything we needed to, to survive for six weeks. If that's possible, what else is possible? And I think that's the journey that led me on to many other journeys. Um, again, back in the Himalayas, but other, you know, skiing, climbing, all kinds of other things too, kayaking. <laughs> It's possibility after possibility. And you just said something huge. You said uh, you changed your paradigm from I'll never to how could I? Mm -hmm. And that like, okay, so there's possibility. So how could I? And so, so then you go on with your hand cycling to compete in many, many, many events. And one day you make a decision, wouldn't it be amazing if I could be in the Paralympics. Yeah, so wouldn't it be amazing to become a little phrase of mine, I call it having a wibber. And so yes, it has. I really like to always have a wibber because it just, it just brings that bigger vision and excitement into everyday life when we know there's something on the horizon that we're working towards, that we're excited about, that we're gonna learn from, that keep, gives us a focus for different aspects of life. So yeah, my, my Wibber, it actually began in 2008. And this is an interesting little twist because I damaged the skin on my bottom. I've been on a sea kayaking two week holiday in, in Sweden 
and the seat had been a bit too hard and so I had a pressure sore so I had to lie on my tummy for a month to get give my, my, my backside a chance to recover and it was during that time that the Beijing Paralympics was on television and for the first time ever hand cycling was included within it mm. and I just had this whipper wouldn't it be amazing the next games is in London wow imagine competing at a Paralympic Games in your own country I don't know if I can do it I didn't see myself as an athlete at all but just somehow felt compelled to begin that journey and see if I could get to take part in London 2012. So you told me that story on one of our first calls. And I know, I think you probably sensed in me that I was thinking like, my goodness, how do you like, how do you even begin a dream like that? And your story has resonated with me. Can you, can you just share a little bit more about that story and and how you took that first step with that Wibber. Yeah, so I, the very first thing I did was create a folder on my computer called Olympics. And there was nothing in it apart from one photograph of me on my bike that I'd put a little title on saying, going for gold, which was just so ridiculous and naive. Um, and this photo sat in the folder for months. And then I realized, okay, I've not actually progressed this. What do I need to do? What are the next steps? So. I had progressed it as in I'd, I'd begun cycling every day and I kind of had this vision inside of me. But then we have to then break it down, don't we, into what are the practical steps we need to do to get from where we are to where we ideally want to be, even though it can seem really far away and really impossible on so many levels. So I just think, you know, the, the lovely saying every journey begins with a single step, but it really, mm. really does. And from creating a folder to then have, finding a coach and beginning this training plan and learning what I needed to learn about how to train properly. And I was just doing the same thing over and over again. The old, the old thing, if we always do what we always did, we always get what we always got. But essentially <laughs> I was getting really good at going slow for longer because yeah. I was just going out riding for hours and instead of being really focused. So yeah, I just began this journey of, I suppose, with a willingness to do things differently from how I had and to explore and learn and just to find out, my curiosity was, how good can you get to be at something if you really begin to focus on it and do things you need to do to get really good at it? Because I'd never done that before. I'd always been quite good at lots of things, but never necessarily really got in deep on one thing. Yeah. So, that, yeah, that's where the journey began. It just, it, it really blows my mind. I mean, it's such a simple step. You created a folder on your computer and it, I mean, there was no master plan that like, that was it. It was, we created the folder and the rest just sort of unfolded from there one step at a time. And so, you know, creating a vision board, creating a folder, just, you know, just, it just starts with that idea and then taking that one step to, to move towards the next action. You know, one of my favorite quotes through that period of my life was the one by, I never know how to pronounce the name, Gurf. Goethe, but um, yeah. what you do or dream you can begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. And I think the, the I think the saying goes on to say all manner of unexpected things unfold once we've made that commitment. And that's exactly what happens. And people appear in your life that you, that just seem to help you along that journey. You you discover things, you opportunities arise, and suddenly you're, you're further along the path than you ever expected to be, even without a plan. Simply with that intention and, and that vision and that passion. So planning becomes important at some stage, but I don't think it's the, the way to get there. Essentially, it's building that emotion inside yourself and the vision inside yourself. It's not the spark that lights the fire. 
No. It's amazing. So I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here. You uh, you create this Olympic folder on your computer, um, and then you win a silver medal. Yeah. So that was a surprise. <laughs> but there was a nice little story behind that. I, I, I don't think you know this one, but when I was training for the Paralympics in London, I was waiting on a train station one day on my bike and this rather drunk guy came staggering towards me and my instant reaction or thought was, oh no, here we go, lots of stupid questions. And it, it, the guy turned out to be Glaswegian and he, he was very drunk, but he leaned over and he looked at me on my bike and he just asked me what my mission was. And I said, I'm trying to go to a Paralympics. And then he didn't say anything else apart from pull out a mobile phone and show me a picture of a dog with a wheelchair on its back legs. And he told me a story about how the vet or whatever wanted to put his dog down because he had lame legs. And he said, no, we'll get them a wheelchair. And he asked me, uh, and then he just said, for me, for my father, beat the Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. And so he, he staggered back off into the station and I thought, it's a sign because already by this point, I knew that the Americans were very strong and usually beat right. me in the races. It's, okay, it's a sign. I'm going to train harder. I'll have to beat the Yankee now. And then he came back towards me a few minutes later and he bought me a mini Loch Ness monster, a little stuffed one as a good luck mascot, um, a can of Red Bull for energy for next time I race the American and a bar of chocolate as a treat for when I beat her. So this can of Red Bull lived in my fridge for the next year until the, until the Olympic Games. And I saved the very can to drink before that race in London. Um, and the Loch Ness Monster was stuffed down my aerodynamic skin suit. The bar of chocolate was long gone. <laughs> but, you know, that stranger on a station planted a seed in me and planted a kind of, you know, you might call it an anchor within me that... I, I was fo so focused that year. And every time I opened the fridge and saw the can of Red Bull, it drove me on to train harder and to hold this vision of beating the Americans. I knew if I could do that, there was a good chance that um, I'd do really well. But what happened in the race in London was that the American actually passed me and she did win the race. She got the gold and I got the silver. So after that, I felt like there was still a mission incomplete. And uh, <laughs> I was I was really happy and amazed that I'd even won a medal, to be honest, because it was just to take part was my original intention. But um, the, the journey is is certainly incomplete at this point. So I, you and I have a mutual love for Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And I got some chills when you were telling me about um, that man that you encountered, um, because part of the hero's journey is encounter with the supernatural aid. Yeah. And sometimes they come out of places that you don't expect. And you know, it sounds to me like he played that role for you. Yeah, he definitely did. And various other people along the way. And you look back, sometimes you can't see it in the moment, can you? But you look back and you realize who those key people were along the way that progressed that journey in some shape or form. Yeah. So, so silver in London, but Karen Dark has a connection to gold and you've had a connection to gold your whole life. You have a degree in geology. Yeah, a degree in geology. And then I went on to study gold for a doctorate, um, looking at gold deposits, it, gold, it, hidden gold, actually, which makes it even more interesting within in Bolivia, in South America. So I spent three years studying gold within the Andes and never saw gold, only saw a tiny speck of it under a very high powered microscope at the very, very end of the three year doctorate. So, and I think that's a wonderful metaphor for um, 
for gold. It's something that, you know, we don't always see it. We don't easily find it. But as, as well, I'll explain now, but then I went on to compete and go to Rio and did win the gold medal there, did beat the American there. Yes, you and, did. And the medal was the 79th medal for Britain. And 79, I'd forgotten, is the atomic number of gold in the periodic table. Gold 70, is number 79. And this number started to appear in my life in all sorts of weird ways and bizarre ways. And I know that our brain takes in more of it once we identify something and focus on something. So I'm sure I've been seeing 79s everywhere, partly through just the function of the brain. But it also does seem that there's been this rather magical journey with gold and the number 79. And and, and I've realised that um, seven, this gold is, is hidden within us. And I call it our inner gold. And to find it, I think we do need to be brave sometimes to take steps that feel scary, but to step out of our comfort zone, not crazily, not stupidly, not life-threateningly so, which I've clearly done too many times, but just in a way that we're not getting stuck in a rut and we're not staying in our comfort zone so long that we become stale and stagnant. And I really believe that when we when we do that, when we're not challenging ourselves and, and extending those boundaries and exploring them a little bit, then that's where we get stuck and where we might start to get depressed or life gets dull or difficult. But ironically, when we're pushing the boundaries, even though it's quite challenging at times, I think it's what keeps us alive and gives us that vital energy and helps us find the gold inside of ourselves. Yeah. So you've been looking for gold your whole life. <laughs> you found a gold medal in the Rio Paralympics in 2016. And now you're helping others to do the same. Yeah. And alongside that external journey, there's been a very deep internal journey, as you can imagine, of, yeah. um, of going through the, the struggle and the difficult emotions of, of big challenge and change. And when life throws things at us, like becoming paralyzed, like bereavement, like separation, like all of the ways that we can experience emotional pain in life it's it's really easy to it can be really easy to just get stuck in that and to be victimized by that and and to it, it's not easy and it's not fun is it to have those emotions but um i've realized that if we can accept those emotions and know that they will shift and change just like the weather shifts and changes from a horrible stormy day to a beautiful sunny day mm -hmm. that's exactly what happens to us as human beings and if we can just not resist those emotions but allow them to be when they need to be or when they're present and then and be grateful for what we have got not what we haven't and focus on what we can do not what we can't then somehow that combination takes us on a magical journey where we do find more of the beautiful emotions that uh that we're that we're more than capable i would argue designed to experience and live with yeah and, and and is this the inner gold that we're talking about that's that's what i'm referring to maybe we've all got a different take on what inner gold is but for me it is about inner gold is really about being able to experience more of those those wonderful emotions like joy and passion and and laughter and love and gratitude and all those things that make us feel so good but i think to get there and reveal more of them 
it's maybe quite difficult to get there unless we've processed quite a lot of the other layers. It's kind of like the tarnish that we have to get through or work through. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, what I found was so interesting on your website, you like have all of the stories you've got blog posts and podcast posts and videos. And um, most recently you've got some uh, little kind of mini podcasts where you've talked about some of the different principles of, of the inner gold. And it's some of these things that we talk about and, and it's, and it's really magic, but you have so much that you've manifested sort of externally in your life. And, but then we are talking on this podcast and on your podcast about the inner gold and about those principles, like how do those two things sort of mesh together or do they? Which, which two things, sorry, the, the, the inner goal, the concepts that you talk about in terms of the inner goal, the joy, the, mm -hmm. you know, on your, on your podcast. Um, but then how do those things sort of tie into the, so the external achievements and the manifestations that, that the accomplishments that you've had? Um, well, I suppose my journey with all of those particular stories and blogs and, and podcasts was very much led by Quest 79. So after Rio, I, I latched on to this 79 idea and this concept of Quest 79. So a quest is a journey of discovery. And I realized how important that's been for me in my life and how much it's given me and enabled me to learn and, and grow through. So I thought, wow, it would be really special to encourage people to choose different quests for themselves and discover something along the way and my original my initial quest 79 personally was to cycle seven continents nine rides and i had no idea that each of those journeys would really give me a deep lesson in some of these sort of vital aspects of what i call inner gold so you know for example following the river murray in australia it's the longest river in australia from source to sea I began in a fairly broken state. I was kind of, I pushed my body to the limit. I, I, I kept going after Rio. I was in the Commonwealth Games in 2018 in Australia. I was, I was burned physically and therefore emotionally, I think, and yeah. began this journey with a river with, a, with an idea of using the landscape as a metaphor for how we take too much from ourselves or don't really see the limited energy that we could potentially have or, you know, how do we keep the flow going? Yeah. So the landscape gave, I explored its story actually and made a program for BBC Radio 4 about it, but it was such an incredible journey by the end of it. I remember just cycling towards the, the, on the final few days of the river, sometimes just throwing my arms in the air with this sense of so much gratitude for being alive, for, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd cycle through the night and watch stars. We'd seen sunrises and sunsets and that connection again with nature and the beauty of it and this very special journey and the people that support us along the way, all of it was just so incredibly overwhelming and something to feel so grateful for that I had this very profound, deep experience of gratitude like one I'd never had before. And cycling the length of the river Ganges from its source in the Himalayas to its sacred heart in Varanasi, that was just an incredible journey of love from all of the strangers we met along the way who just gave us so much love. And right down to the, to the people that I was with, I was with a couple who had been together for 10 years, but decided to consolidate that at the start of the journey and decided yeah. they would get married. And I held that secret with them for the length of the Yay. journey and um, organized a kind of surprise wedding ceremony, ceremony for them on the river at the end of the cycle ride. Wow, too cool. Yeah, that journey was just about pure love in all of its senses. So 
I had no idea when I began my version of Quest 79 that each of those journeys would really show me and give me a deep experience of some of these aspects of inner gold. And I just know and trust that when people do a quest for themselves, and many people are doing quests now, all sorts of beautiful things, that they will also discover similar things in themselves. And it's just, I think it's magical. And it's, uh, yeah. Well, you know, this is the second time you mentioned on your trip um, in Australia, you talked about emotional healing. And I, and I saw that on your website at one point too. Um, after some of your training, you mentioned doing a hand bike uh, expedition from Tibet to Nepal. Um, and on the website, it said it was for emotional healing. So tell me about like the emotional healing that you experience. And, and um, also I'll bring in that you and I spoke before this call. We talked a little bit about um, some feelings that you were having this morning about this concept that there's beauty in brokenness. And I think that's a great segue into this concept of emotional healing here. Yeah, I mean, the, that journey you mentioned across Tibet wasn't one of the Quest 79 rides. It was in 2014. But what was fascinating about that, there were, I think, myself and four other female friends. So we were an all-female team. And everybody was going through a massive emotional thing in their life. Two people had had really bad accidents. So I'd been hit by a, a vehicle the year before and lost function in my arm. One of them had had an accident and broken her leg, shattered her legs into pieces. They were just riddled with metal and she was just finally getting back on her feet. Two of the people had gone through huge, big um, love breakups, like relationship breakups, yeah. a couple of people, big job changes, traumatic sort of shifts in career. So we were all processing something pretty, you know, significant for us. And I think just be like I've said before, being in nature, being in that Tibet, this, you are high on top of the world. It is the roof yeah. of the world and you have these expansive skylines. And you, even if you can't tell your altitude, because you don't see big drops, for example, you're on a plateau, but you just know. So it just lifts you up somehow and... Yeah, there was just something about the journey that, and when you travel in a landscape with other people and you're all processing things or exploring things together, there's something very special about the intimacy that you can have, but then the space that you can have from each other. You, you share small times, conversations, and you, yeah. then you separate, you, you're in your own space, you reflect, you come together again, and it's very, very precious and transformative. Hmm. That simplicity again, right? Yeah. Yeah, in the experience. So, so Quest seventy nine is something that you're taking on as a personal challenge with your um, quest to, to do nine rides over seven continents. But you're also encouraging other people to do the same. Um, I have signed up. I'm still trying to figure out what my number seventy nine is going to be, and we'll get there. And I'll certainly have to report back. But I'm curious what some of the other people. What are some of the other uh, missions or quests that people are taking on and and what are you noticing in terms of patterns like you know other people that are getting that call to adventure and what 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 seems to be sort of recurring in that yeah so they've been really varied and the initial quests that people got involved with were when i just started it and a lot of them were quite physical so there was a 10-year-old boy who decided to climb 79 peaks in 79 weeks and he didn't even like mountain climbing but then he ended up getting his whole family involved and then community involved and raised money for a children's charity in Africa. Um, another friend in from the island of Mallorca in Spain, she was inspired by him and decided to climb her local mountain, the same mountain, 79 times wow. in a 
kind of fairly short space of time. I think she began with an idea of three months, but she did it in about six weeks in the end. Um, and and so, but what I noticed the pattern is that one someone's quest inspires another one. Do you know what I mean? So that yes. the ripple the ripples spread. And I think that's what happens when we see someone else do something or transform or change in a way that's surprising to us. It's inspiring. We see something in them that we maybe don't know if we can do, but it's enough to go, well, maybe I could. And then it start, and then and that ripple effect begins. And then I've also just noticed that when people take on a quest like that, it other people seem to you know end up getting involved. And so it might go from one person doing it, but by the time my friend that did the same mountain 79 times, gradually different people were coming with her and then they liked it. So they'd go again. And by the end, there was a group of about 20 women on top of the mountain with dogs and all their, you know, just celebrating together in that environment. So I think it brings others with us as well. It's not, it might begin as a solo thing, but it brings others. There's a wonderful lady who's in her 70s and she decided to pick litter up every day for 79 days mm. for at least um, an hour a day. She now has whole, her local council involved. They've got all these ideas for projects for transforming the neighborhood. It's like just snowballed and other people have seen what she's done and they've also picked up litter for 79 days. And then other people have seen that and come up with variations like collecting 79 items from around the house to go and take to a charity shop, just to, you know, all kinds of variations on things which are just, really wonderful to see happen it's it's truly truly amazing the the ripple effect that you're talking about i mean you've inspired me and i'm going to take on my my quest 79 i hope that people listening will consider doing the same if somebody wants to join this quest 79 challenge how do they do that if they could go to the website quest79.com and just register there tell us what you're doing and share your story so if you can share it by either sending information to us or by following us on instagram and facebook all the links are on the website and tagging us in pictures and images and anything just share your story like the biggest thing i think we can all do is share our journeys of transformation with others because it does inspire other people and it really has that ripple effect if we share. So the main thing is like, tell us to share, share, share the story. Even if you feel embarrassed to share it, it's really powerful. I think that's so true. If we're not, uh, if we don't have the vulnerability and the courage to share our stories, then nobody's going to hear it and the inspiration stops. So we have to keep that, keep that chain going by, by sharing. And you know what? We, we, it's really easy to belittle our own stories. I've done it with my own journey all the way through and just think, well, why is this interesting or relevant to anybody? But I've really discovered that that's not a good way to go. It really is interesting and relevant for people. Everybody's story, every single person's story, every quest really matters because it can really just give someone that seed, that little tiny seed of an idea and the seed is where it all begins. All of my projects and journeys and adventures have begun with just a single thought, a single tiny idea. Yeah. And it's really easy just to not let those seeds grow and nurture them just to let them die away. But um, it doesn't take much either to fertilize them and get them going. And that's where things transform. It, it's so true. It's so true. And I think one thing that I love is on the Quest 79 website, it says that you are a community of ordinary people accomplishing extraordinary things. And at the very beginning of this podcast, 
our intro says that this is a podcast about ordinary people telling their extraordinary stories of adventure. So there's definitely um, some connection there. But um, I wonder if just for just a minute as we wrap up here, can you talk about ordinary, Karen? Are, are you an ordinary person? I'm an ordinary person. Absolutely. I was just about to say that's the iron, irony in the whole thing, isn't it? Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. But actually, we're all we all feel ordinary. <laughs> we do and it's all relative and let's you know it's all relative to our own perceptions nothing else like we're we are all ordinary and we are all extraordinary and it's that it's that it's the balance of those two things that 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 uh yeah and the kind of contrast between those two things which is at the root of it all i think <laughs> wouldn't it be amazing <laughs> Wubba. karen i thank you so much for your time you have truly inspired me. I hope that you've inspired, uh, I know that you've inspired the people that are listening on this call. And I hope that the folks listening will visit karendark.com and also visit quest79.com and sign up for your adventure. Um, I really hope that you've been inspired as much as I have today. I hope that Karen's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we do want to hear your story next. We want to hear it here at this podcast and Karen wants to hear your story and your quest at Quest 79. Absolutely. So, um, please, if you have a story to tell or if you need, have a, uh, you need a nudge to create one, please reach out. And until next time, we both want to encourage you to get outside. I want to thank you for listening. And Karen, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks. <laughs>